0: It is a Test Tube Thursday. Dan Riskin, our science expert, is here. Nice to have you, sir. And I thought we'd already heard the last word on the solar eclipse and whether or not we need a school day off. But what say you?
1: Uh, I, listen, I think that it's great that kids are g- not going to have to go to school that day, but I think the reasoning has been a little bit misleading. Uh, yes, you, you, the kids should not be staring at the sun, and the school boards are worried they're going to get sued because all the kids are going to go out in the schoolyard and look up and stare at the sun, and everybody's going to get mad about it. But these ki- the kids need to experience this eclipse, and th- so having a day off from school gives kids the opportunity to make sure that they're in a place where they can observe it. That doesn't mean looking at the sun, it just means being outside uh, if you have protective Eyewear, it means looking up with the protective eyewear. If you don't have protective eyewear, it means punching a hole in a piece of cardboard and using it as a pinhole camera to project the sun down on the ground. Really easy to do. I mean, honestly, you just punch a hole and hold a piece of cardboard above the ground. But the other thing is that the eclipse is not happening in Toronto. I mean, it's a partial eclipse in Toronto, but the total eclipse is restricted to it goes right across Lake Ontario, just south of us. So for families that want to see this eclipse, they've got to leave Toronto. They've got to go to Niagara. They've got to go to hamilton they've got to go to prince edward county there are a lot of places nearby where the eclipse will be a total eclipse and the the shadow of the moon will block out the sun entirely and for i mean i'm taking my kids there's no way i would have my kids in school in toronto on that day at risk of being indoors when that eclipse happens i would flip my lid if my kids <laughs> missed out on this like momentous part of their childhood so you're gonna hit the road and go south. Yeah, we're, we're going to Niagara, I think. I think I'm going to do something with your morning. We're working out the details right now, so I'll probably be doing some reporting there, but I am taking the kids and they are going to experience this. And I just, just before I talked to you, ordered my special uh, glasses online. They weren't very expensive, but I have a feeling they're going to be very hard to get as time approaches April 8th. So, uh, listeners, if you're thinking you uh, have any plans to enjoy this solar eclipse, you might want to just jump on Amazon or wherever and make sure you get your solar protection glasses now while they're still
0: Let's talk about a few other science stories this morning, including how playing an instrument is linked to better brain health in older adults. Not surprising entirely, because anything that stimulates the brain from crossword puzzles to, you know, uh, whatever else, social engagement is supposed to be good for the brain.
1: Yeah, and that's, I mean, the this, this study shows what you would expect, which is that if you do play an instrument or even sing in a choir, uh, you do see better cognitive performance. Uh, they basically, this is a correlational study. So it's in the UK, it's about a thousand adults, uh, elderly adults. Um, and basically they're asked a bunch of questions about how long they've been playing an instrument, if they play an instrument. 87% of the people in the study are instrument players. Um, so very few that don't play instruments at all, but how much they play instruments now varied. And what they found is that especially piano players, uh they see good cognitive performance i would just before I take this as gospel, I would just put up the caveat that it is a correlational study. And so it's quite possible that there are a lot of things that can happen in a person's life that give them an advantage cognitively and also tend to result in a piano being in their house, like being very rich, for example. Uh, it's very easy, you know, rich people are more likely to have the time and the money to have a hobby of playing piano or playing instruments and taking time in the evenings to, to participate in a band or an orchestra, whereas people that are living in poverty are not going to have those luxuries and also may be more likely to have other issues that are going to cause them to not be able to take care of themselves. So if there's a correlation here, not totally clear that the music is what's doing it, but it certainly can't hurt. And if you're playing an instrument, keep doing it.
0: Uh, in Japan, they have this thing called nature bathing. And uh, I know we've talked about this in the past that, for example, going for a walk in the ravines in Toronto is restorative. But what's the latest research?
1: The latest is a study out of the University of Utah where they got people to do this brain draining task. Uh, It's a pretty simple one Start at a 1000 subtract seven, and then subtract seven again, and just keep telling me the numbers until you get to zero, it takes a long time. And it's boring. And it's exhausting. And when people were finished that they put this thing on their head, this EEG monitor, and they did some cognitive tests. And then they went for a 40 minute walk, and then they came back and did cognitive tests again. And the 40 minute walk was in one of two places. It was either on the campus Arboretum, where it's very beautiful. It's it's in Salt Lake City, they've got lots of trees, it's very nice. They walked by themselves without their device, without other people. They just got nature to feed their soul. And then the other people went for a 40-minute walk in a parking lot, and they walked (laughs) the same distance with the same rise and elevation, so the same amount of exercise. And then they came back and did that second cognitive test. And what the researchers found was that the people who walked in nature did show slightly better results uh, on their cognitive tests than the people who just walked in a parking lot. And the argument they make is that by living in cities and being away from nature, we're robbing ourselves of cognitive performance and we're not we're not actually being our best selves and nature is something that's fundamentally important to our souls and th- the next questions they want to ask are what do devices do to that experience so if i go for a walk in nature but i'm on my phone the whole time do i get the same perks as i do if
0: i don't have my phone with me it's interesting because they did a study in new york city where they sent people on a walk through a neighborhood and then they just gave them sort of a general test of how do you feel about things and then they went into the neighborhood and they put in planters and and uh, Mm. all kinds of beautiful things, and they sent these people out for a walk, and again, when they asked them how do you feel, they all scored higher.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I've seen a similar study where they, uh, they sent people on a walk in the woods and they put in speakers with bird calls so they could artificially increase the amount of birds they were hearing. And same thing, it, it people show, uh, it, I mean, just, the study after study after study just reveals we are adapted to more natural environments than the ones that most of us live in. But, you know, you, it's not that Toronto's bad and everywhere else that's farther away is good. Toronto has great ravines. We've got the beach. We've got uh, lots of places where you can get feed your soul with nature, uh, High Park, of course. And it, there are lots of places in Toronto where you can feed your soul like that. This was just an arboretum on campus in the middle of Salt Lake City. So, um, you know, just remember, you don't have to move to the middle of nowhere in order to get these benefits. You just have to take advantage of the stuff that's in our city and and the nature that's here.
0: I just rage walk down Yonge Street. But anyway, <laughs> uh, Madonna is gonna be very, very disappointed to find out that apparently moths are not drawn to flames. Yes, and I hate to
1: ruin Madonna's day because that's one person I do not want to get in a fight with. But, um, they, you know, everybody believes that, well, not everybody, but a lot of people believe that moths are drawn to flames, and which would imply that they fly toward it. Um, the, my understanding of it was that moths get confused because they think it's the moon. They've evolved this ability to orient based on where the moon is, and when the moon's in one place, they fly in a straight line, keeping the moon fixed in their path. Um, this latest study says it's not actually the moon, it's up versus down. Down. So um, when you go out at night and there are no artificial lights, the sky is still lighter than the ground. And so you can tell up is the bright way and down is the dark way. And when moths are flying near an artificial light, they did this with, I think, eight different species of moths and two species of butterflies, um, or sorry, two species of dragonflies. Um, When the, when the animal's flying past the light, it orients itself as though the light was up. And so it ends up tipping on its side and that makes it to fall down or or it goes under it. And then it climbs straight up trying to keep the light above it and it gets all messed up. So the, the understanding based on this new paper that's in Nature Communications, a very good journal, is that moths are going to the light, not because they're drawn to it, but because that light messes up what they think is up and down and they just lose their ability to orient and they end up getting totally messed up and they don't actually want to go to the light. They want to go past it, but uh, they're stuck with it.
0: All right. And what's going on with these pilots who say they've been seeing bizarre lights yeah,
1: it's been interesting. Um, there have been a bunch of reports across Canada of different uh, different people flying planes and seeing things in the sky. A lot of people think that it's uh, light bouncing off of those Starlink uh Things that have been launched a lot more frequently than they were before. Those mini
0: satellites, yeah.
1: Those mini satellites that maybe the light's bouncing off of them as they fly through the sky. Um, But uh, we don't know. And so really there's a call right now for a better reporting system so that uh, we can find out exactly what's going on. Because right now the reports are just sort of, they're not really collected all in one place.
0: Thanks a lot for this. Always a pleasure on a Thursday morning.
1: Thanks, John. Always enjoy it.
0: Dan Riskin, our science reporter. I always, When he talks about throwing the kids in the car and driving south in order to watch the eclipse, I always wonder if it's a thrill to have a scientist for a dad or if the kids all roll their eyes.